chapter thirteen of stories of symphonic music this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by kathleen stories of symphonic music by lawrence gilman chapter thirteen elgar edward william elgar born in broadheath near worcester england june two eighteen fifty seven now living in malvern england variations on an original theme enigma opus thirty six these variations have an inner history or rather fourteen inner histories but precisely what they are is a secret which is locked within the breast of sir edward elgar and certain of his friends the variations are fourteen in number and their purpose has been publicly avowed by the composer in them he says i have sketched the idiosyncrasies of fourteen of my friends but this is a personal matter and need not have been mentioned the score bears the subtitle enigma and is dedicated to my friends pictured within hints as to their identity are contained in these initials and sobriquets printed at the head of the different variations one c a e lestesso tempo g minor ending in major four fourths two h d s p allegro g minor three eighths three r b t allegretto g major three eighths four w m b allegro di molto g minor with end in g major three-fourths five r p a moderato c minor twelve-eighths and four-fourths six isobel andantino c major three-second seven troit presto c major three-second eight w n allegretto g major six-eighths nine nimrod moderato e flat major three-fourths ten dorabella intermezzo allegretto g major three-fourths eleven g r s allegro di molto g minor two second twelve b g n andante g minor four-fourths thirteen romanza moderato g major three-fourths fourteen e d u finale allegro g major two second as to the enigma sir edward has thus declared himself the enigma i will not explain its dark saying must be left unguessed and i warn you that the apparent connection between the variations and the theme is often of the slightest texture further through and over the whole set another and larger theme goes but is not played so the principal theme never appears even as in some late dramas for example maeterlinck's ventrus and Dercep princesses the principal character is never on the stage the score bears the date line melbourne eighteen ninety nine overture cockaine in london town opus forty at the time of the first performance of this overture at a london philharmonic concert june twenty 
nineteen o one the following outline of the dramatic significance of successive episodes in the music was put forth by mr joseph bennett presumably with the authority of the composer one cheerful aspect of london two strong and sincere character of londoners three the lover's romance four young london's interruption five the military band six in the church seven finale in the streets when the overture was first performed by the boston symphony orchestra in november nineteen o one mr philip hale included in his program notes this more detailed exposition the overture is a succession of scenes it may be called panoramic the scenes are connected by a slender thread the composer imagines two lovers strolling through the streets of the town the first picture suggested is that of the animation of the intense vitality of the street life then comes a section which according to the composer's sketch expresses the sincere and ardent spirit underlining the cockaner's frivolity and luxury the lovers seek quiet in a park and give way to their own emotions they grow passionate but they are interrupted and disconcerted by the rough pranks of young cockaners the lovers leave the park and seek what charles lamb described as the sweet security of the streets a military band approaches passes with hideous rage and fury and at last is at a safe and reasonable distance the lovers go into a church the organ is playing and even here they cannot escape wholly the noise of the street to the street they return and the former experiences are renewed the score which contains no program or elucidation whatsoever was published in nineteen o one dream children two pieces for small orchestra opus forty three these pieces published in nineteen o two are prefaced with the following quotation from the paper in charles lamb's essays of elia entitled dream children a reverie and while i stood gazing both the children gradually grew fainter to my view receding and still receding till nothing at last but two mournful features were seen in the uttermost distance which without speech strangely impressed upon me the effects of speech we are not of alice nor of thee nor are we children at all we are nothing less than nothing and dreams we are only what might have been footnote alice w n lamb's first love according to hazlitt she married a pawnbroker in prince's street leicester square did he bear the romantic name of bartram the children of alice call bartram father says elia in a passage in dream children tactfully omitted from elgar's excerpt compare the passage immediately preceding that quoted by sir edward then i told how for seven years in hope sometimes sometimes in despair yet persisting ever i courted the fair alice w n and as much as children could understand i explained to them what coyness and difficulty and denial meant in maidens when suddenly turning to alice 
the soul of the first alice looked out at her eyes with such a reality of representment that i became in doubt which of them stood there before me or whose that bright hair was and one recalls the sentence in new year's eve methinks it is better that i should have pined away seven of my goldenest years when i was thrall to the fair hair and fairer eyes of alice w n than that so passionate a love adventure should be lost End footnote. elgar's music for pianoforte or small orchestra is in two slightly contrasted parts one a pensive andante movement in g minor and two a livelier allegretto in g major which however changes to andante and closes with grave sentiment molto lento the correspondence between the dominant moods of the essay and the characteristics of the music are obvious and easily perceptible the pieces were sketched long ago says the composer writing in june nineteen o seven and completed a few years back the first performance was at a queen's hall promenade concert london september four nineteen o two no more searching and effective commentary could be written upon this music than that of mr vernon blackburn though its delicately stated meanings do not lie always upon the surface sir edward elgar can go further than the great english prose poet and in his music he delves into the finest things of the life of childhood not the precocious things not the interrogatory matters which so often puzzle the brains of elder people but simply the artless questions of childhood which are answered never it is those things which appeal to sir edward yet with his infinitely fine sense of musical suggestion are still never answered we can easily see why it is that elgar chooses out of a great system of idealistic writing to limit himself for once within the boundaries of childhood just the thoughts and the dreams of youth that wonderful period in life after all the thoughts and dreams of youth do not go further than the theories of manhood and sir edward elgar therefore reaches a point of interrogation which ranks among all those many questions which in music seem to us to continue from the time of the abate martini through the questionings of gluck past the art of mozart and schumann right unto the present day elgar called into life the children of his dream just as all the greatest of modern composers may for the listener revive the feelings that have been closed behind the gate of his mind the children of his dreams touch a musical paternity that may be ranked among the things that issue from the paternity of thought such a great musician as edward elgar may well dream of those children who stand on the edge of the horizon towards whom he beckons to come over the sea of silence who never come but who allow him to dream of the mystery of that which is sometimes forever denied but which is at all times the inspiration of highest thought overture in the south alasio opus fifty footnote alasio an italian seaport town on the mediterranean near genoa 
in footnote this overture was completed in nineteen o four these lines from byron's child harold's pilgrimage are quoted in the score a land which was the mightiest in its old command and is the loveliest wherein were cast the men of rome thou art the garden of the world cantos four twenty five twenty six the music is said to have been conceived on a glorious spring day in the valley of andorra and is meant to suggest the joy of living in a balmy climate under sunny skies and amid surroundings in which the beauties of nature vie in interest with the remains and recollections of the great past of an enchanting country mr a a jagger in the course of an elaborate analysis and exposition of the overture which is said to have been prepared with the sanction of the composer writes in detail concerning the meaning of certain passages in the music of an episode which occurs shortly after the beginning at the entry of what the musician would call the second theme of the overture he says gradually a calmer mood comes over the music the strings are muted and wood-wind clarinet and english horn and violins are heard in a little dialogue which seems to have been suggested by a shepherd with his flock and his home-made music as the music dies away in softest p p p the drums and double basses sound persistently even after the long-delayed second subject proper of the overture has commenced so far the thematic material has been largely constructed of short sequences the new subject on the other hand is a long-drawn finely curved melody of shapely form tinged with a sweet sadness it is doubtless meant to suggest the feeling of melancholy which is generally coexistent with the state of happiness resulting from communion with nature a melancholy which in this case however may be supposed to have been produced by contemplating the contrast shown nowhere more strikingly than in italy between the eternal rejuvenescence of nature and the instability of man's greatest and proudest achievements the melody is announced by first violins solo viola and solo cello it is immediately repeated in the higher octave a melody in the same gentle mood follows later there occurs a passionately ascending sequence as if the composer were rousing himself from a deep reverie there are trumpet calls and the music becomes increasingly animated we reach a second very important episode grandioso in which the composer has aimed to paint the relentless and domineering onward force of the ancient day and give a sound picture of the strife and wars of a later time first we have this bold and stately phrase very weightily scored for the full orchestra except flutes it is followed by another forceful passage in which are clashing discords soon the music grows even more emphatic with almost cruel insistence the composer covers page after page with this discordant and stridently orchestrated but powerfully suggestive music it is as if countless roman cohorts sounded their battle calls from all the corners of the earth it is a wild scene which the composer unfolds before us one of turbulent strife 
in which many a slashing blow and counter-blow are dealt in furious hand-to-hand -hand fight the roman motif grandioso seems to exhort the warriors to carry their eagles victorious through the fray that senatus populusque romanus may know how roman legions did their duty gradually the clamour subsides and with a high note sounded on the glockenspiel an orchestral implement which produces a bell-like tone we are back in the light of the present day a curious passage seems to suggest the gradual awakening from the dream the bright sunshine breaking through the dust of battle beheld in a poet's vision of a soul-stirring past later we hear solo viola the lonely shepherd's plaintive song floating towards the serene azure of the italian sky finally the overture is brought to an end with a phrase which has stood throughout for the brave motto of sunshine open air and cheery optimism end of chapter thirteen